Well, good morning. good morning. I want to also say happy Easter and happy anniversary to all of you this morning. Yes, we're here to celebrate our hero, not only this Sunday, but every Sunday and every day, like Mike said, and our hero is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're here to celebrate him and give him all the glory this morning. And even looking back over the 11 years of our church's history, God gets all the glory for that as well. I want to say, though, as the pastor of this church, I have been a pastor now for 37 years. I've never had a better time than the last 11. I've never, I've never pastored a more wonderful group of people. I've never worked with a greater group of leaders than I have the last 11 years of the history of this church. And I look forward, Lord willing, to another great 11, 20, 30, you know. One of these days, you're just going to see me propped up here, and I'm just going to keep on preaching. But to God be all the glory for everything that he has done. Today, we're going to be spending some time in the book of 2 Peter, a book that we've been in for the last several weeks. It's a book that inspires us as Christians to spiritually grow, okay? That God has more planned for us than just to have a personal relationship with him, which we'll talk a little bit about that too. But God wants us to go beyond that and wants us to grow in him and through him throughout our Christian life, to walk with him every day. And one of the things that we have seen in our study are inspirations or motivations that God gives us to grow. One of them is it's God's will. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, that should be enough. If, if God wants it, if God wills it, then that seals it for me. But God has also given us many other inspirations. One, we have learned that you and I, even as Christians, do not get to a place in our life where we just sort of suspend and we just sort of stay at the same place. We're either growing or we're regressing. We're either making progress and moving forward in our Christian life or we're going backwards. We never stay the same. So then if we're not moving forward, we're moving backward, which is not a good thing. By spiritually growing, we're in a place of spiritual health where we can navigate the difficult times of life. And I don't think I have to say too much about that because we have seen even in our Christian community, even in what we call the Big C Church, all Christians of, you know, all around the world that this last year has certainly been a test. How are we going to handle it as Christ followers? And those that were in a spiritually good and healthy place, I think was able to handle this last year a little bit better than those that weren't, you see. And so that's another reason why we should grow. I said earlier on in this series that over 90% of the things that you and I struggle with as Christians could be overcome in our life if we just kept growing. Like little children who grow out of certain behaviors and certain attitudes and certain things, guess what? 
we as Christians, no matter what age we are, if we keep growing, we can grow past things and grow out of things and overcome those things if we would just stay on a track of spiritual growth. So over and over again, from beginning to end, Peter is saying, God did not call me, even Peter, to just be a disciple, to just know him, but to follow him and become all that he created me to be, which is why when Jesus met Peter, he said, you're Simon now, but you're going to become a Peter. You know, it's all about who we are becoming. So in verse 2 of chapter 1, Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you as you grow. And then in the very last verse of this short letter, chapter 3, verse 18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This book is all about growth. Now today what we want to look at is one of the results of being a growing Christian. One of the results of being a growing Christian is that growth brings certainty. Growth brings certainty. And that is so important in our lives. As a human being, it's important. It's really important as a Christian to be certain about things. And here's the thing. We live in a world today where most people say you can't be certain about anything. In fact, if you and I come across as certain about things, they might even look at you as being conceited. Because you, you can't be that certain, you know? There's just nothing certain. But God says, oh yeah, through me, you can be certain about things. And here's why being certain about things is important. Because when you and I are certain about things, we can have a clarity. We can have a confidence as we live. We can have a calmness and a composure that others don't possess or have because they're not certain. They're, they're navigating in very unsure, unstable situations, and we've seen that, have we not, over the, even the past year, how some people seem to be stable no matter what the situation and circumstances of their life and other people are very, very unsure and unstable. They don't know what to do. And so what do they do? They look to those like, tell me, just tell me what to do. And those in power will be more than happy to tell us what to do when we're not sure what we should be doing, you see. So that's why this topic is so very practical, relevant, and important to us. And I'd like to share with all of us this morning, four things that God wants us to be certain about as we grow, okay? And let me say this before I start. Even in bringing the resurrection of Jesus Christ into the conversation this morning, that was something God wanted us to be sure about. Luke writes in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3, that after Jesus suffered and died, he, Jesus, presented himself alive with many convincing proofs, appearing to hundreds of people over a 40-day period before he ascended back to heaven. You see, if you're here today and you believe in the resurrection, it's not like you're just some whacked-out person that just went off the rails and you're believing some unbelievable story about, you know, this guy Jesus that actually could rise from the dead. No, it can be traced back through history, a chain all the way that goes back to the eyewitnesses who saw Jesus alive. 
And Jesus said, hey, you need to touch me in order to, to see that I'm real? Then touch me. I want to show you with many convincing proofs, and the word convincing there means to be sure, to be certain about something. God wanted us to be certain that his son rose from the dead. So after he rose from the dead, he didn't just immediately fly up to heaven. He stayed here on earth for 40 days, seen by hundreds of people. And those people became the early church. They became the ones that were willing to die as martyrs for what they believed. Why would they do that? Because they were convinced. They were certain that Jesus rose from the dead, and there was nobody going to come along and tell them, no, this, he really didn't rise from the dead, because they saw it. They touched him. They heard him. Many convincing proofs. So with that, Four things that God wants us to be certain of as we grow. The first thing, chapter 1, verse 10, he wants us to be certain of our calling and election. Notice verse 10 of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. Therefore, brothers and sisters, he's already writing to Christians, okay? Make every effort to be sure of your calling and election. He's not talking about our salvation here. He's already writing to Christians. In fact, he even said in verse 12, I'm just talking to you about things that you already know. I'm just reminding you about things in these three chapters because you already know the truth and you are well established in the faith. So he's not even talking about new believers here, new Christians, baby Christians. He's talking about people who are pretty solid, mature Christians. And yet he says, God wants you and I to be sure of our calling and election, to be certain of it. When, what is it? Our calling and election speaks about the part that God wants us to play in his body. That's what the calling and election is. You see, God has a part, a responsibility, a role that he wants each of us to play in his body. The church, the people of God, are described in the Bible as a body. God uses that as a great illustration. He says, every one of you are like your human physical body, okay? For some of you in my body, you're the fingers. Some of you in my body, you're the toes, you're the foot, you're the hand, you're the eyes, you're the ears. But that every Christian has a part to play in my body in order for my body to function at its fullest capacity. And he wants us, each of us, to be certain about what that calling and election. Why did he make me the way that he did? Why did he give me the abilities and the gifts and the talents and all of that that he did? Where do I fit in? And the reason Peter is saying this, even to mature believers, is there are so many Christians that live their whole life on this earth from the time they are saved to the time they die and go to be with Jesus, and they never become certain about the part that they are to play. They don't know whether they're the toe or the pinky. They don't know whether they're an ear or an eye. They don't know. 
And Peter is saying this is one of the reasons why we need to grow and continually grow as Christians because as you set your life on a pathway of spiritual growth, you over that time will discover and it will be solidified. It will be something that you are sure and certain of that this is the part God wants you to play. And every one of us as Christians has a part to play. Everyone. That's why Paul said, using the body again, a hand can't say to the foot, I don't need you. I mean, the way our physical body that God made us, every part is essential. Even the parts that you and I don't think are very important, wait till they don't work right. Right? And God says, it's not just about the parts that you see, it's about the parts that you don't see behind the scenes. And we all know that they're really the most important parts, right? The parts that you can't see, the heart, the lungs, the liver, the, all those things inside here that people can't see, they're the things that really keep us going. And so, you know, there are many Christians that go, well, God doesn't call me to be up front. That's okay. You, pay, you play just as much an important role in the body by being behind the scenes and functioning. God doesn't want us to compare ourselves. God doesn't want the finger to be jealous of the toe. God just simply says, all I ask of you is figure out what part you are and be the best big toe you can be in my body. Because guess what? If you're the best big toe and that's what I created you to be with a big toe, I will bless your life. I will favor you. You will bless others. You, you will be rewarded. You will have the greatest life ever if you just figure out what part I want you to play in my body and then you just live that for the rest of your life. Be sure about your calling and election. Is there anything more I want to say about that before I move on? <laughs> I guess just reemphasizing the fact that be, learn to be comfortable the way God made you and relax with how God made you to be. And instead of bemoaning or groaning about the fact that if you are made to be a finger, that you're not the toe, that that's okay, learn to be that, because I guarantee you this, God made you that way, and that will be what brings you the most fulfillment and satisfaction. Not what you think you want to be, but what God made you to be, because he designed you a certain way. He made you unique, not like anybody else. There is nobody else on earth that has your unique set of, of temperament, and gifts and abilities and talents and outlook and perspective. Only you carry that. Only you can bring what you can bring to the body. And therefore, part of why the body of Christ even doesn't function as highly as it should is because there are people competing over the same part and they're trying to be what other parts are that they weren't created to be. No. God wants us to be certain, certain about our part and learn to be fulfilled and satisfied in what he created and who he created us to be. That's the first. Second, God wants us to be certain about his word. Not only certain about our calling and election, but certain about his word. Beginning in verse 16 of chapter 1, 
Peter is relating to us the experience that he and a couple other disciples had on a Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus Christ sort of peeled back his humanity for a couple seconds and let them see the glory of the Lord, okay? And during that experience, Peter said, we even heard the voice of God the Father say from heaven, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him, okay? Peter had this experience, right? But notice what Peter then says in verse 19. He says, moreover, we possess the prophetic word, just another way of saying God's word, as an altogether reliable thing. Let's stop there. First, Peter's making an amazing statement. He's saying, as sure as I am about the experience that I had with God on that mountain, he said, I'm even more sure about his word. His word is even more sure than our experience. Now think about that, because we live in a very experiential world. You know, you experience something, that's it, right? But God is saying, I'm not discounting experience. Experience is important, okay? But my word is even more solid, more dependable, more reliable, more trustworthy than any experience you could have. It's that sure. And God wants us to be sure of his word. Jesus said, heaven and earth will one day pass away, but my word will what? Endure forever. See, the sure word of God. There is nothing more solid, more foundational than the word of God. Jesus said to those who were following him at one time, he said, I'm going to illustrate it this way, he said. Those who hear my words and do them is like a man or a woman who builds his house on a rock. He says, listen, rains are going to come, storms are going to come, floods are going to come. In other words, bad things are still going to happen. Trials and things are going to happen. That's not the issue. But because you are listening to my word and following my word and trusting my sure, certain word, you're going to be always on solid ground no matter what. But he said to the person who hears my word and doesn't listen to it, doesn't obey it, doesn't follow it, you're building your life on shifting sand. Very unsure, very unstable, because you have no solid foundation. Whenever things begin to happen in the world or in your life, you have no foundation underneath of you to support you. That's why Christians hold up the Word of God. That's why we are to read it and study it and meditate on it, because it is something that we can be sure of in a very insecure and unstable world. And we have seen, I think, again, it's just God is laying this out for us by, by using the events that we're even living through, how even more insecure and unstable the world becomes as time goes on. And people are looking for something sure, something certain, something that they can give them confidence and clarity because they don't know what to do. And God is saying, trust me. Trust what I tell you to do. Trust my word because other things come and go. You know, 
what's popular now and what's in now won't be in, you know, five, ten years from now. The thing that everybody is doing now won't be something that everybody doing, you know. It's the thing that's going to give us stability and security is not only being sure of our calling and election, it's being sure of the word of God. Then, third, be sure or certain about Jesus. In chapter 2, we're not going to go into this. I spent a message on it a couple weeks ago. This whole chapter is about false teachers and false preachers and those who are teaching false things. And it really comes down to the fact that they're wrong about Jesus. And let me say this. You can be right about everything else in your life and wrong about Jesus, and you're going to be lacking. You're going to be in trouble. And you could be right about Jesus. And here's the thing. When you're right about Jesus, then everything else in your life will fall into its right place. That's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those other things, they'll fall in line just the way they need to. It's putting Jesus first. It's being certain and sure about Jesus. See, the false teachers, the false preachers, the false prophets, they were peddling a message that was demeaning to who Jesus really was. It lessened who Jesus really was. In fact, you see this in chapter 2. Look at verses, just verse 1. False prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. These false teachers will infiltrate your midst with destructive heresies, even to the point of, here it is, denying the master who bought them. I want you to zero in on that phrase, the master who bought them, Jesus. First of all, Peter's saying, let's not forget who Jesus is. He is the master. It means he's the ruler of all. He is the sovereign. God wants us to be certain about the identity of who Jesus is. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the great I am. He is the pearl of great price. He is the one mediator between God and men. As the great I am, he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the door to the sheepfold. He is the true vine. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way and the truth and the life. He is, as we're going to see in our study of Revelation on Wednesday night, the one who was and who is and who is to come. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. This is who our Jesus is. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He is the one who has no equal. He is the healer of mind and body and spirit. He is the one that can put back together a heart of a human being. He is the one who can provide everything we need. He is the all-sufficient Lord of glory. He is the one who holds the universe together. He's the one who can hold us together. He's the one who gives us the very breath that we breathe every day and keeps our heart beating. This is who our Jesus is, and God wants us to be sure and certain about who Jesus is, you see. Yeah. 
Are you certain about Jesus? And then he goes on to say, he's not only the master, he's the master who bought us as Christians. It means he redeemed us. He purchased us. Purchased us out of what? Purchased us out of being enslaved to sin. See, the Bible says that before we met Christ, there was powers in our life that were greater than ours, and we had no way to fight against it. We, we were just surrendering to things that were stronger than we were. But when Christ comes into a life, he gives us power to be able to have victory and to overcome these things that can get a hold of people and can literally destroy their lives. And again, that's self-evident, right? You cannot live in a society like ours and not see that people literally every day are making choices and decisions in their life that are self-destructive. And even when they say, I don't want to, they don't know how to get out of it. They don't have a power greater than that to be able to pull on or, or to trust in to be able to help them to navigate it. They are at the mercy of these things. That's why we live in a world of addiction no matter what those addictions are, where people get trapped in certain behaviors. And even if they want to find release, even if they want freedom from these things, they don't have the capacity or the ability within themselves to be able to fight against it. And that's where you and I as Christians have to share the wonderful message of God's love with them and the hope that only Christ can bring because Christ is the one who can set us all free from these things. He's the one that can empower us to do what we could never do on our own. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if any of you doubt what I'm saying, I'd love to sit down with you and have a conversation with you and share with you, even from my 37 years of experience as a pastor and working with people day in and day out and seeing, sitting across from somebody at a coffee shop and listening to them and hearing the hopelessness in their voice and seeing the hopelessness in their eyes and seeing the tears coming down their face, wanting to find release from the thing that's got a hold of them and they can't do it until they open up their heart to Jesus Christ. And then when they open up their heart to Jesus Christ, they are free, my friends. I mean, free indeed. Maybe some of you are even a testimony to that power of Jesus in your life, like I am. You've seen the difference that Jesus Christ makes. And God wants us to be certain about that. Not only so that we have that certainty within us, but so we can share that certainty with others. So God wants us to be certain about our calling and election, the part that we play in his body. He wants us to be certain about the word of God. He wants us to be certain about Jesus. And then finally this morning, he wants us to be certain about the day of the Lord. Look at verse 8, 9, and 10 of 2 Peter chapter 3. And by the way, we're going to come back to these verses next week as we continue our study. The Lord, or I'll start with verse 8. Now, dear friends, chapter 3, verse 8 of 2 Peter, do not let this one thing escape your notice, 
that a single day is like a thousand years with the Lord and a thousand years are like a single day. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient toward you because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. When it comes, things are going to change. And we'll talk more about that next week. The point I want to make is that Peter says, friends, right now we are in what God would call the day of man. Not the day of God, the day of man. God is letting man do what man wants to do and giving him a lot of freedom, if you will. But one day, just as God has intervened in history before, God is going to very decisively and dramatically and drastically intervene one last time in human history. The day of God, the day of the Lord is going to come. And then there's going to be a great reversal. Everything is going to once and for all time change. The values of the world are no longer going to matter. The priorities of the world are going to be much different because then it's not going to be what man wants, it's going to be what God wants. And the Lord Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign forever and ever. That's why God taught us to pray, your kingdom come, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess what? That day's coming, my friends. I want to encourage you that that day is coming. A great reversal is coming. And God wants us to live as if that day is coming, you see, to live in the hope that that day is coming because we can get caught up in what's happening in the world and think, oh, it's never going to change. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. No, no, no. No, the day of the Lord is going to come. And when it comes, it will never be the same again, you see. In fact, in the book of Isaiah, you know what? Let's turn there. Keep your finger in 2 Peter 3 if you're following along and go back to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. This is too good. Isaiah chapter 2, just a couple verses I want to share with you out of the prophet Isaiah chapter 2. He describes briefly just some of the aspects of the day of the Lord, and I just want to, to highlight uh, three verses here because they all have to sort of do with the same thing. Chapter 2 of the prophet Isaiah, verse 11, 12, and 17. 11, 12, and 17, Isaiah. Here's what the day of the Lord is going to be about. Proud men will be brought low. We could all say proud women, right? Proud people. Arrogant men will be humiliated. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Indeed, the Lord who commands armies has planned a day of judgment. For all the high and mighty, for all who are proud, they will be humiliated. Verse 17, proud men will be humiliated. Arrogant men will be brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. See, that's the day of the Lord. See, all those that are sitting high and mighty right now, all those who are proud and arrogant and think, you know, God doesn't exist and, and I don't need God and all of that, when the day of the Lord comes, all that's going to be reversed. And God's going to bring them off of their pedestals and he's going to bring them down because no longer is he going to allow man to get the glory for what he alone deserves the glory for. 
God then is going to be the only one exalted in that day. God alone is going to be the only one worshipped in that day. And the pride of man is going to be brought down once and for all in that day. The day of the Lord will come. Now, friends, to encourage you, and especially to tie this in with, you know, Easter and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, let's remind ourselves of this. And we may need to remind ourselves of this every year, every month, every week, maybe even every day, depending on how bad the world gets, right? That we, right now, are living in the Friday-Saturday after the crucifixion. Think about that. I mean, all of Christ's followers who gave up everything to follow him have just seen him crucified on a cross, taken down from that cross and buried in a tomb. Ooh, circumstances don't look good, right? And all day on Friday and all day on Saturday, I can only imagine what was going through their minds and their hearts, thinking like, is, is anything ever going to change? Is, you know, what's going to happen? But then Sunday came. And when Sunday came, they went to the tomb to anoint his body and guess what? The angel says, why are you here looking for the dead? He's not here. He's alive. And everything changed on Sunday. See, it might be Friday or Saturday in this season that we're going through, but as one famous preacher once said, Sunday's coming. We're living in Friday and Saturday right now, but Sunday's coming. And when it comes, everything is going to change. The day of the Lord will come. Notice, he doesn't say if it comes. He says in verse 10, when it comes. And notice he says, it's going to come for many like a thief. Why does he describe the day of the Lord coming like a thief? Because do anybody ever really expect somebody to come into your house at a certain time and rob you of your things? No. When thieves break into houses, it's something that's very sudden and very unexpected. And Jesus is saying, that's going to be the day of the Lord. It's going to catch a lot of people off guard. And you might say, ah, oh, I don't get caught off guard with anything. Really? Did you see the pandemic coming? I, I didn't see the pandemic coming. I, I'll say this. I didn't see all that was going to happen this year ahead of time. Now, we know, based upon the Word of God, that the Bible says in the last days, difficult times will come. And God does say, I'm preparing my people that it's not going to be easy for you not just because of the conditions in the world during the last days and how things are going to change, but the conditions of Christians and of the church and how the church is going to be under attack even more so, just like it was in the first century in the last days. So those things shouldn't catch us off guard. But the specifics? Yeah, I don't think any of us knew all that was going to happen this last year. So I think we need to get rid of our pride and go, Lord, I need to trust your word. And I need to use your word and keep it in front of me at all times 
as the psalmist says, as a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And even if God only gives me the ability to see one step ahead, that's good, God, because I know you're with me. And I know, God, that you, through my spiritual growth now, have given me things that I can be certain of. And because I can be certain of those things, now I can live with clarity, and now I can live with confidence, and I can keep my calmness and my composure when everybody else around me is freaking out. I can be certain about the part that you want me to play. I can be certain that your word is my rock. I can be certain about you, Jesus, and I can be certain that one day things are going to change, and I'm living for that day, not just for this day. The day of the Lord will come. Are you certain? Are you sure? Are you confident? Because God wants you to be. And if you're not, that can start to change today. You can cry out to the Lord today and say, Lord, I need you in my life because I'm trying to navigate my life without you and I'm realizing it's a real struggle out there without any help. I feel like I am on my own out there, God, and I don't want to be on my own anymore. Listen, God hears that prayer and God will come into your life, into your heart. He will save you from your sin. He will build a relationship with you, and he will set you on the pathway of growth. And your life will never be the same again. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things will start to pass away. All things will become new. And I guarantee you this, and I'll just tell you this from my own personal testimony. Your life will never be the same again, and I mean it in a good way. It doesn't mean you won't have trials and tribulations or promises, but it does mean that you'll have the Lord of glory inside of you to help you with every step of the way for the rest of your life. And if you are here today and you're a Christian, but, man, you've been so unsure and unstable of things for too long now, today's the day that that can change. You can make a commitment today to say, I'm starting to grow. And I'm going to find me a church where I can grow, and I'm going to hang around Christians who are growing, and I'm going to start building a life of growth because I'm realizing that I'm shortchanging myself and everybody else around me because of my lack of confidence and clarity and composure. I'm not certain, and I want to be more certain. And God is giving us the opportunity now to nail some things down in our life so that we can live that life of certainty that God wants us to live. Would you stand with me and let's pray. God, we thank you today that in a world of instability and uncertainty, God, we can have that certainty and stability in our life through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray today, God, that we will leave here all more certain about things, the things that you want us, God, to be certain about. We can't be certain about everything, but the things that you've revealed to us, those are the things we can be sure about. And God, you've given us enough to be sure about that we can live on a solid foundation, that we can feel supported, that we can be strong and not weak. 
And so, God, I pray today that we will all make a commitment to be certain about some things and to continue to grow, God, with you for the rest of our lives. We don't want, know what tomorrow is going to bring, next week, next month, next year. We don't know all the trials and tribulations we're going to go through until we die or until you come for us, Lord. But we can know these things, God. And they are what can sustain us and give us hope and joy and peace and love and self-control and all of these wonderful things, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit that we will need, Lord, for the rest of our life. So, God, we want to come today and claim and declare the solid ground that we have in you. And, God, may we be a testimony to those around us, God, who are unstable and are unsure, God, during these times that they can look at our lives and, and our life can be a testimony, Lord, to them that through Jesus, we can be certain about some things, God. Would you use our time together in your house today as we celebrate you, God, for all that you are and all that you've done and all that you will do and how faithful and how good and how much, God, you've poured out your grace upon this church in these last 11 years. God, we thank you for it all, and we pray all these things in the wonderful and precious and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you join me as we sing, The Solid Rock, that's where our hope is found.